Hello, listeners, and welcome to the NK News Podcast. Today's episode is recorded on June 13th, 2019, and this is part of my special uh, mini-series to mark the 30th anniversary of the 1989 Pyongyang World Festival of Youth and Students. And I am joined in the studio today by Professor Vladimir Klasny of Ihua Women's University to talk about this paper that he is uh, currently drafting for the 30th anniversary of that paper, uh, of that festival. And Professor Klasny is an Associate Professor of Economics at Ihua Women's University in Seoul. His research is normally in the areas of welfare economics, labor economics, and industrial organization. Uh, in 2015, he served as an Economic Affairs Officer at the United Nations Economic and Social Commission for Western Asia in Beirut. Uh, and he holds a doctorate in economics from Michigan State University. So thanks for joining me here today, Vladimir. Thanks, Jacko. Thanks for having me. So you're an economist. How did you come to write an article on the 1989 Pyongyang World Festival of Youth and Students? It's actually my Czech connection because uh, uh, a few years ago I was uh, um, contacted by a colleague from the history department at IWA mm -hmm. uh, who was doing research on uh, Korean independence fighters in the beginning of the 20th century, oh, yeah. uh, many of whom, my, uh, a group of whom migrated uh, to Europe and to uh, California, to Western U.S., and surprisingly, many of them went through Prague. Mm. So, um, so I, I was on a, a research stay in Prague at that time. So I, I did some research uh, in the Czech archives. And that's how I learned about Czech Student Association, who became important uh, for, for this festival. Ah, so that was all in the archives. Yeah. In Prague. Okay, well, I, I was, uh, I'm very grateful to uh, our mutual friend and one of my guests on this podcast last year, Teresa Novotna. It was she who advised me to contact you about this festival. I was amazed to see how much information you'd found in these archives. I, until recently, I thought I was the only one who had any interest in this uh, long-forgotten 30-year-old festival. Um, well, the 30th anniversary is a, is a good opportunity to, to, to do this. Mm -hmm. And then also in this political cycle of of relationships between Koreas and uh, uh, of uh, the, the view of the international community toward uh, North Korea. Now we are on kind of an upswing in uh, under the current presidential administration uh, when there is some prospect of softer policy, reunification. And that festival 30 years ago was also kind of a peak of that mood. And, and I, I think third of all, it's, uh, it's really high time for uh, World Archives to open up and uh, start divulging all the information about the, the communist regimes of, uh, of the Cold War. Oh, because yeah. this, this archive that I went to and where I got my information about the festival is actually not publicly uh, open yet. I have to thank uh, administrator for the, the fund in the archive, Dr. Lenka Kluchkova, who was uh, kind enough to let me look into unopened boxes, uh, still dusty boxes that wow. nobody has ever looked at. Gosh, and, since uh, 1989. Yes, yeah. or even since 1950s. There, there are boxes going oh. back to the beginning of the organization. Uh, the International Union of Students. Yes. Right, the yes. IUS. And it turns out that many archives in, in Moscow, in Beijing, in in Pyongyang have not opened even to this level. So there's still a lot of uh, uh, material that uh, should be researched. And so I think in the coming decades, we'll see, we'll uh, learn more about these events. Right. Yeah. So the, I should point out uh, some background. You uh, looked at the festival, not just as an event in Pyongyang, but also as a significant event in the history of the International Union of Students or the IUS, uh, which organized these uh, 
uh, four yearly uh, uh, festivals of youth and students. Tell us a little bit about the IUS. What was it? Well, it was a student association. Well, and actually, there is an IUS now, but is it unrelated, I'm guessing? It's just the same name? Well, you, you still hear that the organization exists, hmm. but I have the impression that it, it, it doesn't. Uh, it's only individual people who claim to have some connection, but I don't think there is any formal organization, formal funding. Uh, the org- since 1989, the, the organization was uh, evicted from its headquarters in Prague and it struggled. It gave various addresses in, in Germany, in the Netherlands. Uh, until recently, there has been even a building in Prague still. Yeah, it's funny you should mention the Netherlands because when I was studying in the Netherlands uh, doing my master's six years ago, I think I actually joined the International Union of Students for five euro because it offered travel <laughs> discounts on rail. Oh, wow. <laughs> I, not knowing at that time that it had any connection with this organization, I just joined because it, it offered me some travel discounts. Well, I mean, this organization was really significant uh, uh, during the Cold War mm. and even in the 90s. Uh, for example, the international student card, ISIC, yeah. is uh, their invention. Uh, the uh, So ISIC, teacher's card, ITIC, uh, mm. those are used globally. Uh, I use them. Uh-huh. And uh, those are the inventions of uh, this organization. Okay. And why was it uh, based in uh, Czechoslovakia? Uh, I think part of it is um, kind of a historical fact or solidarity with uh, the the history. Mm. And part was the, uh, the the backing by the Czechoslovak government. So uh, the, the real uh, origins of this organ- organization are... Uh, um, uh, 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 were in the Second World War. Ah. Uh, in 1939, uh, in Prague and other Czechoslovak cities, there was a demonst- mass demonstration by students against the Nazi occupation, and Nazis crushed it. Some of the events took on uh, took uh, took place on the 17th of November, and uh, in later years, uh, in kind of in solidarity and in uh, uh, to remember these events, this was called the International Day of Students. Ah. And uh, you, you might know that uh, the Velvet Revolution in uh, Czechoslovakia that that was the end of uh, co- communism in Czechoslovakia happened when yep. November 17th 1989 ah, okay uh, so this this event from the second world war was uh, celebrated almost every year and uh, there were demonstrations and in 1989 it brought down another uh, uh, terror regime so so I think that's significant and so uh, during the second world war student organizations from from almost 90 countries met in uh, London and they, they voted to open a new organization. The next meeting was in Prague, and that's when, uh, in 1946, the uh, International Union of Students was uh, officially founded and has been there since, uh, since 1946 until 1989. Was it always, uh, since its founding in 1946, was it always a left-wing student organization? Actually, that's interesting that at that time there was no uh, communist uh, regime. It was uh, mm. just after the Second World War, Czechoslovakia was uh, was a, a really great place to to open an organization like that. It mm. was uh, between the what, what what was starting to be a Soviet bloc and the democratic uh, Western Europe. There was a still uh, still a socially democratic uh, uh, government, and only two years later, in 1948, the communists staged uh, a coup uh, and took a power by uh, you know, through violence. And the focus of the organization turned. Mm. Ideologically leftward, so it became a, a, a pro-Moscow organization. Pro-Moscow, pro yep, and pro-communist party. Hmm. Now the, uh, the the festivals themselves, these uh, international festivals of youth and students, they're organized uh, from the, that headquarters in Prague. 
every four years. Was it always like a kind of a, a counter Olympics? Is, is that what the purpose of it was? I mean, what what really was it all about? What was the aim of the thing? Well, it was uh, uh, there was a social program. There were games uh, and sports. Um, there was also discussion um, of um, you know, political topics. Pyongyang was a very important city. Uh, on the one hand, the whole communist world and this this organization were trying to reach out to to the edges of the world, to the global south, uh, to countries that were um, were suffering from from violence or uh, or oppression. Uh, so Pyongyang was kind of a logical choice. Uh, also, th- this festival came on you know, several decades of uh, propaganda against the Korean War, against the uh, nuclearization of the, the the Korean Peninsula by, by by the U.S. and by South Korea. You know, to hold the festival in Pyongyang was a uh, was a, a, a great political statement. Mm. Uh, so that's that's uh, uh, on one side of the of the debate. Uh, the other side of the debate was that you know, in the years uh, leading up to the festival. There were uh, stories about human rights uh, violations in, mm. in Pyongyang. There was uh, s- s- stories came out about the uh, organization of the festival, how rigidly it uh, it was being organized, uh, how uh, little of you know, uh, public discussion mm. uh, there would be. Um, also, there was a criticism of the size of the festival. This was one uh, supposed to be one of the largest festivals. It ended up being about halfway, uh, uh, something like 21,000 students uh, uh, and delegates attended, Mm -hmm. uh, which is uh, roughly in the middle of the range uh, of the previous festivals. And the the different national organizations uh, uh, criticized, how can a developing country afford this kind of large festival? Ah. Even even Russia itself said that, well, uh, given that these new festivals cost that much, Mm. even Russia itself wouldn't be able to afford to hold uh, a a festival uh, in the future. Okay, uh, as you mentioned, the uh, the previous festival was in was in Moscow in eighty uh, five. Is that right? Yep. And then the next one after Pyongyang was eight years later uh, in Havana, Cuba. So, what uh, apart from the size and the expense, what made the Pyongyang festival different from anything before it and after it? Well, I think the uh, I think the uh, the fact that the North Korean leadership was uh, organizing it made uh, the one big difference. Mm. Uh, I think there was a, a general evolution to make the the festivals larger and larger, and uh, to use them as propaganda for the you know, Soviet bloc. But the uh, uh, North Korean organizing committee made uh, uh, some choices about limiting the amount of open discussion, uh, limiting the the, the space. And uh, putting um, uh, supervisors and sightseers in different discussion points to censor the discussion and to choreograph how what happens, who says what, how much interaction there is. Do you have any sense from the uh, the documents that you found in the archive or in the interviews that you've done? Uh, do you get a sense of the any tension between? The North Korean organizers and the IUS organizers in Prague, was there any debate or disagreement among them about how much the North Korean government would control the uh, the festival? I think IUS was either just kind of an intermediary. Um, it didn't have its own opinion. So it, I think it just moderated between the, uh, the views of its member organizations. So uh, the Western European and Scandinavian uh, student organizations complained to IUS 
and to North Koreans about uh, the structure of the festival, and North Korea responded in some way. So IUS, as kind of as the the umbrella for all the national organizations, was keeping kind of neutral, or it was on North Korean side. It was uh, hmm. no, uh, still the International Union of Students was sponsored by the Czechoslovak Communist uh, government. Yeah. was getting money from from Soviet Union, and. Uh, uh, so it didn't criticize uh, North Korean leadership. Who was the president of the IUS in 1989 and, and what was his role in the festival, either in organizing it or in, in uh, presiding over it during the, the week in Pyongyang? So uh, I, IUS had international leadership. There, there, uh, there was an executive uh, secretary. There was a president. The president was, uh, uh, his name was Josef Scala. To this day, he is a, he's a, a kind of major among the major politicians in, uh, in the Czech Republic. Mm. Uh, he was a career uh, diplomat, he, a very char- charismatic man, and very ideologically, uh, I think he, he believes the, uh, the ideology of uh, the, the student movement, the festival movement, and uh, all of uh, communist ideology. Uh, to this day, he is not apologizing for the evils of the communist regime in, in the Czech Republic and um, around the whole Soviet bloc. He uh, talks in favor of the Soviet invasion of uh, Czechoslovakia during the uh, Prague Spring in mm. 1968. He talks in favor of the uh, Chinese response to Tiananmen Square demonstrations. I think he, he views objective reports of those demonstrations as fake news, and he has his own opinion about uh, which way the violence went. And uh, so he is an apologist for... Uh, for the communist uh, regimes. And what was his role in the festival? He was the president of the organization, so he was the leading figure. And uh, well, IUS was a was a was a major international organization, so he was treated as a head of state. Mm. He met uh, Kim Il Sung for a private uh, meeting. Uh, he uh, he accompanied Kim Il Sung on a walk through uh, through the palace. He met personally Im Su Kyung, the the, the only mm. um, South Korean who was South there. South Korean. Yeah. Now, uh, technically, uh, people who went to the festival, and you mentioned the number uh, twenty one thousand, but I've also seen a lower number. It could have been fifteen thousand. So we know somewhere between fifteen and twenty one thousand uh, international students went there. Technically, they didn't go as individuals, but rather as national delegations, almost like Olympic teams. Just to give us an, an, an idea, can you tell us anything about the Czechoslovak delegation? Well, uh, you have a good point that uh, the numbers, there are conflicting, conflicting numbers about um, what is the size of uh, different delegations and uh, how large the festival was, how much was spent on it. And uh, that's one challenge of reconciling the different documents uh, coming from the North Korean side and from the student uh, side and from, from some of the, the Western uh, observers. These many of these people were discredited after mm. uh, the the political changes in Czechoslovakia, and they had trouble rising back to to uh, high positions. I think that's uh, that's also the the notion I get from Josef Skala that he feels some nostalgia that uh, uh, this uh, this festival movement was sabotaged mm. by by the the fall of the Soviet Empire. Uh, he would have liked to to see it uh, uh, continue. It was the glory days, I suppose. Right. Uh, now, the, the, the delegations themselves uh, were made up. Of, there were students who were uh, there for cultural activities, and there were students who were there for political activities, and there were students for sporting activities. You had sort of basically three broad groups in each delegation. Is that right? Right. Yeah. Uh, and 
I, I read a footnote in your uh, uh, draft paper that the festival visitors who came from overseas were almost entirely male. What can you tell us about that? Uh, that's as much as I can tell you. Again, there, there are conflicting reports coming from the, the propaganda materials from the North Korean side and from, from international observers. But this is an observation that the European observers made. Yeah, what was the, the ratio that you've got? In the, the, di- uh, the diversity was not that high. Um, some continents were not represented at all uh, in terms of, in terms of uh, gender ratio, perhaps 8 uh, out of 10 where uh, men, so only a small fraction of uh, uh, domestic and international delegates were women. That's very surprising, I suppose. Uh, now, the, the festival happened uh, in the first week of uh, July 1989, so it's really a little bit less than four weeks after the June 4 Tiananmen Square events in Beijing, in which you know, a number of students were, uh, were, were killed by the, uh, the People's Liberation Army. So how did the – was there a united festival response to these events? What was the reaction in, uh, in Pyongyang? No way. No, no way would there be uh, a united response uh, because uh, this was a very uh, politically active and ide- ideological uh, organization – and they had to be in support of uh, North Korean and Chinese uh, regimes. So among students, well, first of all, there was a huge shock and uh, not that much information was uh, forthcoming. Mm. So um, there was also a lot of uh, confusion. And uh, Well, yeah, I imagine, for example, that, uh, uh, that the visiting students would have known a lot more from their home media than the North Korean students. They may not have heard much about it at all. And I think part of the problem was that uh, the, the two sides didn't believe each other. Uh, mm. the, the Asian side just didn't have the information. And uh, so uh, they w- didn't engage in uh, good uh, debate with the, with the European or American uh, delegations. Mm. So there was shock, confusion. Um, and by the organizers, there was uh, an intense effort to, to stifle all discussion, uh, to make it a taboo, to not allow any open discussion. Everything was carefully choreographed and there were watchers. S- some organizations were disallowed from, uh, from, from attending, like Amnesty International. Okay, so Amnesty International were not, what, they weren't given visas or what happened there? They, uh, they struggled getting visas. Mm-hmm. When there was international outcry, they finally got the visas only to find that all the tickets to – they only got their visas, uh, I believe, day, days into the festival, mm. not even for the opening, uh, opening events. Wow. And uh, at that point, they found that all the uh, airplane tickets uh, to North Korea were, were, were booked, were oh. sold out. And say so, they did not make it. Whether the North Korean state had a role in the seats being booked up, I, I don't know. Uh, now, despite all this, there were some proposals that were raised um, in in response to the Tiananmen Square massacre, weren't there? Uh, there were many attempts by by European and mo- mainly uh, Scandinavian associations to to raise the issue, mm. uh, both about Tiananmen Square and but also about the human records, uh, human right uh, records in uh, uh, in North. Korea and again they were being you know all of this these efforts were being stifled the Scandinavian associations prepared a large banner saying where is amnesty that uh, that they showed at the closing ceremony of the of the festival but there was no open uh, open debate by the other side and uh, that's how that ended what was known then in 1989 about human rights in North Korea? I mean, now, of course, we have, we have books by, by North Korean defectors. We have uh, 
you know, a lot of information out there, various reports on the gulags in North Korea. Well, was there anything a, in, in the public domain back then? Well, that's a good question. I think I think there was some objective information. There was also speculation, but uh, it was just taboo and all this debate was uh, stifled. And about Tiananmen Square, so not only the North Korean organizers uh, tried to limit space for open discussion, but when Western organizations made a plan to meet together, stage a demonstration or an open meeting, there are stories that they were uh, actively blocked, that they would come to a meeting point and find uh, that uh, mm. uh, the space was occupied by oh, yeah. uh, by local people. Just having a spontaneous meeting. That's right. Right. Uh, yeah, no, I think the only thing that I know for sure that was in the public domain before the 1989 festival was um, Ali Lameda. Have you heard of him? No. Ali Lameda was a, a Venezuelan poet who was visiting North Korea and uh, somehow he, this is back in the late 1970s, I think, and somehow he offended Kim Il-sung either with something that he wrote or something that he did while he was in North Korea and he ended up uh, imprisoned in a North Korean prison camp. The only reason that we know this is because after he was released, he wrote a short booklet about his time in a North Korean prison camp, which was published appropriately enough by Amnesty International mm-hmm. oh. uh, around 1982. Uh, and that book's been out of print for a long time. But you can find, if you look on the internet, you can find a, uh, a scanned uh, electronic PDF version of that little booklet by Ali Lameda. But I don't know if there was anything else out there that was already uh, you know, openly talked about in terms of North Korean human rights. Mm-hmm. And as I said, some some student organizations were not invited uh, or decided not to attend on their own mm. uh, to protest uh, what they knew about the, the human rights situation in, in Korea, like the Finnish National Union of, of University Students mm. or Western European Student Information Bureau, British Youth Council, uh, and other organizations uh, skipped the festival as protests right. against the, the human rights record. Now, let's talk about the size and the cost of the festival. How much money was spent? Do we have any idea? There are monetary figures, but uh, I don't think they're complete. So there there are estimates that uh, some 5 billion U.S. dollars were spent. 280 new facilities were being built, including a... Uh, 280. 280. That is an incredible... Incredible. That's almost half a city, isn't it? I mean, that's well. I, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the uh, a large May Day stadium uh, ho- uh, hosting 150,000 spectators was opened uh, just a month before before the festival. Yeah. Uh, then the uh, Rukyong uh, Hotel started being constructing uh, constructed a few years before the festival and still not there yet today. Uh, Josef Scala, when I interviewed him, um, I, I asked him whether he saw active preparations in 1989 for yeah. the festival. And he said that uh, he doesn't remember any active preparations, that uh, all mm. those times when he visited Pyongyang uh, since 1985 to 1989, he the, the city looked uh, roughly same, mm. well-developed. So a lot of the construction probably took place early on, and I, I should say that. And beside these, uh, you know, this public information about how much was spent, how much was being constructed, there were also huge sacrifices made by uh, by uh, local people. Mm, yeah, tell us about that. Well, in ni- in 1987, there was a poor harvest in uh, in North Korea because of uh, poor weather. 
So there wasn't much uh, food going around. So if uh, the North Korean side had to feed all the delegates on top of that, it's, it's clear that the uh, local population must have uh, uh, taken sacrifices. Now, you're an economist, um, and so this is a, perhaps a more appropriate question for you. Uh, recently, I had uh, Andre Lankov on the podcast also talking about uh, this festival, and I asked him about the, uh, the, the long-term uh, effects of, of the cost of running this festival, not just the, the construction, but also um, many of the flights for the students were paid for, uh, the accommodation was, was given uh, for free and a lot of the food was covered. So what what do you think the long-term effects were on the North Korean economy? And did this somehow perhaps uh, speed up the uh, the famine that occurred only five, and the economic collapse that occurred only five years later during the arduous march? Well, I feel there was a contribution um, beside the, uh, the, the formal expenditures and the, uh, the national debt that was accumulated because of uh, these uh, outright expenditure uh, expenses and um, construction. Um, I think there was also, you know, all the, the suffering among the people who I imagine that uh, uh, North Korean uh, labor was, u- uh, was used at um, and not paid properly. Uh, so in terms of uh, poverty and uh, deprivation of uh, North Korean people, I think there, 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 was a, there was a large effect. So I think, I think uh, the festival took its toll on public finances in, uh, in, uh, in North Korea. Mm. Tell us more about the, uh, the, the minders or the watchers that, uh, that North Korea uh, assigned. Uh, do we know anything about, uh, you know, how, you know was, it, was there a ratio of one to 10 or how, how did that work? No, I, I, well, it was the North Korean uh, preparatory com- committee who was uh, in charge of all this. Mm-hmm. And uh, IUS was, was not involved in that. But I think they also, they didn't raise the issue uh, too much. Kind of they, they supported the, the local organizing committee. I don't think there is good information. I would imagine that uh, there were formal speaker, uh, formal watchers, but also some um, uh, plain clothes mm-hmm. participants who would uh, try to uh, watch, report on any kind of um, activism and uh, try to uh, dissuade it. Now, did North Korea feel that this event was a success at the time? Yes, of course. Uh, they, they had to claim it in formal propaganda. Well, yeah, sure. And uh, it was a, a period of a lot of uncertainty. And I think um, so after, after the festival, the, the political changes in, uh, in Soviet Union, in Czechoslovakia, in, um, in, in Germany... It, it all merged together. And uh, so I don't know if you mean uh, immediate response to the festival. I think immediate response, immediately after the festival, North Korea f- felt very proud of holding it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it uh, prepared ver- various brochures, uh, uh, you know, summarizing what happened, uh, how many people attended. Um, but in the months after, I think it kind of it sank in that... Uh, the maybe the opportunity was uh, was lost uh, that the conditions um, around the world were not were not perfect and uh, and I wonder I'm not sure if North Korea realized that uh, you know part of the trouble was of its own doing that uh, in the in the spirit of the time had North Korea opened up the space for open free discussion the festival could have been more more successful and made more impact. Now, what about the prospects for uh, Korean unification during and after the festival? That's a topic that really came up uh, during the festival, isn't it? 
Right. Yeah. It was. Uh, it was a, a major theme and a, a major hope. You know that was part of the spirit of the festival. Uh, I think on both sides of the, um, on uh, uh, both in the south and in the north, uh, there was hope of some kind of uh, reunification mm. or engagement. In the north, there was a social opening up in the late 1980s. But the governments of the two Koreas hadn't really had any contact for a long time, as I recall. Right. right. But the, uh, I think they, the both sides judged the situation on the opposite side as uh, being positive, mm-hmm. uh, being um, conducive to some kind of uh, uh, re-engagement. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, you know, North Korea was uh, socially opening up. And I think uh, South Korean uh, regime viewed it as a as a good thing for for the prospects of uh, of uh, reunification or reengagement in the north on the contrary they viewed human rights violations on the south side and the, the protests among uh, south korean students and liberals and they viewed that as an opportunity to also try to reengage or or get the reunification on its own terms so mm-hmm. i think you're right that both uh, there wasn't the two sides didn't talk to each other actively uh, and they hoped to uh, get something on their own terms. Okay, now after the festival finished, so in, in, in November 1999, there was a follow-up meeting in Prague to kind of review or wrap up and then plan for the next one. Now, this meeting took place while the Velvet Revolution was going on, didn't it? That's right. Well, I mean, business was as usual. It was still before the, the uh, well, all the preparations were uh, months or even years uh, ahead. So in 1989 and even in 1990, 1991, there were still events held by the organization as it, as it was fighting extradition from, from Prague. So November 1989, there was still a regular meeting specifically about the topic of the future of the festival movement. Mm. Okay, so, so it wasn't so much about the, the previous one just held. Well, that gave, gave rise to some of this discussion. So generally, I think uh, in the late 1980s, the student association was thinking how to make itself more relevant, uh, whether it should uh, focus less on ideology and more to um, you know, students' welfare. That's when this international students uh, card was uh, uh, was uh, being mm. uh, organized, and that I think that that's a major contribution of this or- organization. But specifically because of the Pyongyang festival, there were questions about the size of the festival, the the, the ideological focus. That was uh, this debate was rising from previous years, from 1988. So. In this November 1989 meeting, there was discussion what went wrong, what could have been done uh, better uh, in Pyongyang, and what's the, what's the future. What's the future of the student association and what's the future of the festival movement? Now, to that meeting, North Korea sent its own delegate uh, to the IUS, and that's uh, Pek Yong-ho. Uh, and I found out that that man later became an ambassador to uh, Egypt and Morocco, and he now serves as the general secretary or executive vice chair to the Central Committee of the Red Cross Society of the DPRK. Some, I'm, I'm not surprised. Uh, many dignitaries, uh, even Andrei Lankov mentioned that uh, the, the connection between KGB and, yep. uh, and this student association and we see that on the czech side as well and apparently we see that in the north korean side too that uh, some of these dignitaries worked for ministry of foreign affairs uh, in surrounding years yeah so this man is still very much part of the machinery of uh, of north korea but it's interesting that he should have been uh, that he was there in prague during the velvet revolution he must have seen some things i wonder if he was placed under any suspicion when he went back to North Korea that, uh, you know, we want to make sure he didn't bring back any strange ideas with him, that kind of thing. 
I, I can only say that in the in the 50s and 60s, what we know about Korean North Korean delegates to these festivals, we can't find them. They they disappeared from 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 public view. Hmm. So um, maybe those people were some somehow quarantined uh, and. Uh, kept from being uh, in the public. So it's somehow even surprising that uh, Pekyong Ho continued his political career. It could mean that the Pyongyang Festival was su- uh, was successful and that in that year uh, the the regime was was happy with um, his uh, organizing of events. Now, what happened, you know, uh, briefly uh, to the International Union of Students after the festival, you you hinted at that they were exiled or kicked out of uh, of, of Czechoslovakia. It suffered slow death, I think. Uh, some funding ran away, uh, ran out right away. Uh, the Czech government distanced itself from from the student association. It viewed it as a kind of as a, as, a, as an instrument of uh, the secret police and of uh, the Soviet regime. And even though the student association tried to argue that it can it can reorganize itself, it can start from scratch as a as a student welfare association. I think there was uh, some political feeling that, that that would not be acceptable, that this was a major part of the, the communist uh, regime under the Cold War, and this, this association should not be uh, allowed to exist. Mm. Because, I mean, this association actively supported the, uh, the arrival of Soviet army in 1968 ah. and uh, didn't blink to Tian- Tiananmen Square events, so the, the association was uh, politically tainted. Now, it's an interesting little footnote. Um, there's still a, a North Korean embassy in Prague today, I believe, isn't there? That's right. And the ambas- Close to my house. Close to your house. Oh, okay. Now, the, amb- the current uh, ambassador of North Korea to uh, Czech Republic, I believe, is uh, Kim Pyong-il, who was the uh, half-brother of Kim Jong-il, mm-hmm. the second leader of North Korea, and the, the father of, uh, of Kim Jong-un, the current leader. Kim Pyong-il has... Uh, he has an interesting uh, diplomatic record because he has spent most of the last 30 years wandering around uh, European capitals as ambassador. So he was in Helsinki, he was in uh, uh, in Yugoslavia when that was still a country. Now he's in, in Czech Republic. I get the feeling that nobody wants him back. Well, maybe it's like uh, retirement for him there. I think um, in, in the Czech Republic, there is still some following from the socialist times. Mm. There is a kind of a united Korean organization for South and North Korea, Koryo, uh, Koryo organization. Well, the North Korean embassy is a is a quiet, uh, quiet place. Yeah, well, I, so, I mean, if you're a man in your 80s, which I think he probably is, uh, it, it, you don't want a, a busy or active embassy posting if you're still working. That's right. But I think I've heard good things about uh, embassy events uh, un- un- under him and under the previous ambassador. So it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a social place for the fans of the North Korean regime. Now, uh, so a, a little more than a year and a half ago, there was this uh, workshop at Seoul National University that you participated in. Um, now we are in the year of the 30th anniversary of the festival. Are you seeing, uh, is there any more interest in South Korea? Are there any academics who are talking about it? Well, it's uh, a little bit under the radar because uh, of, of all the other events that took place in 1989, the, the, the fall of the Berlin Wall and, uh, and the Czechoslovak Velvet Revolution and, and the uh, fall apart of the, the Soviet Union. And this, this student association was... Um, disintegrated long long ago so there are no active um, members and fans 
you know, it's a small footnote to all the events of 1989. Mm. I think you, you wrote in your paper, didn't you, that uh, after this festival, North Korea turned uh, more towards China and, and away from the Soviet Union. That's a, a game that, of course, that North Korea played for a long time over the decades, uh, sometimes with Moscow, sometimes with Beijing. Uh, did you get the feeling that that, that that swing happened once again towards Beijing after the festival? I'm speculating a bit, but I think since the uh, the uh, mid 1980s, there was uh, a turn away from from Russia and r- Russian funding toward China. So that could explain the sensitivity of the Tiananmen Square events uh, during the festival. All right. Well, thank you uh, very much for joining us today on the podcast, Vladimir Lasny. Thank you so much, Jacko. And don't forget, listeners, you can check out our podcast again next week. And please leave a review on iTunes or wherever you downloaded the podcast. And uh, please share it with your friends, neighbors, and classmates so that they can listen to it as well. Uh, thanks, as always, to our post-production editor, Arias Dare, and to uh, Christina Lee and uh, James Fretwell for uh, facilitating this, and also to Chad O'Carroll, the uh, founder and uh, managing director of Career Risk Group. Thanks, and check us again next time. <laughs> <laughs>